Anyways, we're going to kind of talk about that a little bit tonight on how, uh, how government um, is given its power from the people who are the ones with the rights. You know, understand, government does not have rights. Rights are given to people. Government has power, which is entrusted to them by the people. And we're going to kind of look at that in the, the, the Ninth and Tenth Amendments tonight. And I've got a lot of notes. I'm going to try to get through both, uh, or try to get through all this this evening. Um, and then uh, next week we'll probably uh, do kind of a wrap-up. Uh, but uh, let's look at Hosea. Hosea chapter 8. I'll give you a few moments to turn there because that's one of those where the pages tend to be stuck together and hard to find. That's over there in the Minor Prophets to the right of Daniel and Ezekiel and over there in the Old Testament. Hosea chapter 8. When you're there, say amen. Some of you aren't even trying. You're like, I'm just going to listen. Hosea 8 and uh, verse number 4, it says this. They have set up kings, but not by me. Is God speaking through the prophet? They have made princes, and I knew it not. And their silver and their gold, have they made them idols and they may, uh, that they may be cut off? So God is laying out the reason he's going to be dealing harshly with them. But it's interesting there, he says, they have set up kings, but not by me, and they've made princes, and I knew it not. By the way, God's not saying that they got one past him, like he didn't know this was happening. But this was not according to his knowledge. This was not according to his guidance, all right? And we're going to talk about uh, these two amendments. It's very important as we look to the scriptures, how God lays out this issue of, of, um, of approval, if you would, uh, by the people to, to, to rule or to have that power. And so, so here, here's, here's what a lot of Christians say these days. Well, you know, God's going to put in who he's going to put in, in power. Now, we don't have kings. We have pre- a president. We have, um, we have a, uh, uh, of course, a republic. All right. I almost said democracy. I almost fell for it. We have a republic, which is a, uh, a government ruled by law by re- with representatives and so forth. And, um, and, but with that, it, God being involved as we as a nation try to seek the Lord, uh, as we plead with him, and, and, and here's the issue, we want to get the mind of God when we are electing a president, or when we're electing officials, and, and I'm going to look at some scripture in Deuteronomy, it kind of lays out, he talks about when you come to the place where you're going to desire a king, as God tells Israel, understand that was not God's intent for Israel, he was going to be their leader. And, uh, and, but he basically says, when you start desiring a king like the nations around you, here are the parameters that you ought to look for a king. As it, he gives it to them. And, uh, but there, are, there were kings, and I'm way ahead of myself in the notes already, uh, there, there, were, there were times when, when he gave kings. He, he, uh, he had the prophet anoint Saul to be king. He had David anointed to be king. And it went on down. And, uh, and there were even times when God used pagan rulers when they oppressed Israel, and he said, Nebuchadnezzar, my servant. Right? That was God's king. And he said, uh, you know, and he named them. But it was interesting is he never named, though, he, though it's very clearly identified in the book of Daniel, 
Alexander the Great. He never named him by name, but very clear that that's who God was talking about. He didn't acknowledge him by name because he was not God's choice. And at this point, the people, if you would, had usurped authority. They, uh, Hosea 8, they had set up kings, but not by me, God says. Understand something. God is very big on this thing of free will. Now, does that take away from God's sovereignty? I think we have this idea that if God doesn't control uh, everything, then he is not sovereign. He's not in control. Let me just say, God is so big that while giving everybody free will, he's still on the throne. And he's still in control. In fact, while the Antichrist is wreaking havoc on the earth, guess who's still in charge? God. You see? And uh, God is so much bigger than that. All right. Well, if God gives us free will... You know, and by the way, the flip side, the opposite of that would be this, that when wrong happens, God must be the author of it. You see, we got to be careful with this kind of this stuff about free will and sovereignty and, and that kind of stuff. But um, that's another topic for another time. I don't want to chase that rabbit, but it is a favorite of mine. Um, the, let's look at the Ninth and Tenth Amendments. Uh, the Ninth Amendment reads this. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be constructed to deny or disparage other, others retained by the people. Um, what he's talking about is this, that, uh, that basically the Bill of Rights is not exhaustive. See, one of the things they are hesitant to write a bill or a document uh, uh, listing and laying out the rights was that... Uh, it almost sounds like these are the only ones. You see, uh, other rights are inalienable that aren't, aren't um, articulated in the Bill of Rights. But as they were drafting this, they, they said there is a pattern in government that they tend to go after these rights. So we want to understand something that these are not exhaustive. And as other rights come up, which is going to be laid out in the next one, uh, what to do with those. But, uh, but, you know, for example, do we need to articulate that every one of us have a right to breathe? That's a right, right? If we're going to talk about the importance of life, then breathing kind of goes with that, okay? There are certain things. Um, um, uh, let's look at the Tenth. The Tenth Amendment says this, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited it uh, to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. So in other words, things that are not explicitly outlined in the Constitution to the government falls on the people. You may hear from time to time as they debate the, the, um, uh, the issue of abortion. Uh, some position is that should be a state issue. Why? Because it's not addressed in the Constitution. And, uh, or marriage and some of these things. They say this should be a state's issue. And, um, and well, that's, that's, that's appealing to the Tenth Amendment uh, of, these, of these things, that they should be, you know, go down to this. And a lot of this goes back to, uh, to a lot of uh, 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 Locke's, John Locke's writings and some of his others early on, the Federalist Papers, uh, as it talks about um, uh, uh, the state's rights and, and really getting down as far as you can to the people having their own representation. And so that's why they said, or the people there. And so James Madison, we, we, we talked about him and, and it, kind of inserting this, uh, this statement of rights, if you would. And, 
And, and really, with calling it a Bill of Rights is kind of interesting because sometimes we can look at that and say these are the rights. When there are really more rights, what it really should be is a, uh, is a Bill of, of Government Limitations. <laughs> that these are, these are where it's hands off. These are where you shouldn't touch. You should not infringe. And when you do, it's for these exceptions as it lays it out. You know, uh, for example, if you break the law and they, they, they get a warrant and they come in and, and take care of it, that's all laid out there in that Constitution or in these, uh, in these uh, Bill of Rights. And so, uh, so he had articulated, uh, really all ten are wrapped up in what they were going to do is insert into the Constitution and then have to go through the re-ratification process. They decided to go through the amendment process. That's why we call them First Amendment, Second Amendment, and so forth. But as he talked about these, what's interesting is, uh, is there are a couple of differences between his original draft and what actually made its way in. One of those being... Um, in the 10th, as I just read, it, how the powers go to the states, he says, or to the people. And, um, and that could, uh, could kind of uh, uh, bring some um, confusion, but the, the, the spirit of the, of the founders as they drafted this was, was such that, uh, that they, wanted, they wanted to understand that this government that they were forming they wanted it to so be a representation of the people. In other words, the power really lies in the people and those that they give the power to to, ex to execute the government were accountable to the people. So when something is not addressed for the government to have uh, power over, I'm trying to carefully use my words because the government doesn't have rights again, they have power. Uh, when something's not addressed in the Constitution, how it falls down to the states, well, the states were made up of the people, and that's why it was written that way, as it says, or to the people. Um, <clears throat> let me see here. One of the, one of the things, uh, and this is what we're going to kind of uh, cover a lot tonight, but is this concept that we see over and over again, uh, a proposition that the government receives its just powers from the consent of the governed. And consent, that's the word I was trying to think of earlier, um, consent. In other words, for them to have rule, there must be consent. You know what we've done in our country? We've, we've set up a, a system of election, right? You know what we're doing? We're voting on a president, for example. And, uh, and, and what, what are we doing with that vote? We are giving consent that says the majority, and you know, we're not going to get into the whole electoral college and that kind of stuff right now, but it's a representation type of election. But, uh, but what, uh, what it's saying is that we are giving consent to the outcome. You know, some people are, uh, are trying to not give consent. Not my president, right? Well, it doesn't matter. This is the process that we have in our country where we give consent to this person to lead. And we've given consent, if you would, to this form of government and as, as it was started. And, and, um, uh, but, but, but one of those underlying principles was that the government receives its just powers from the consent of the governed. And, uh, and there's, there's that accountability there, or there was supposed to be. That was the intention of our founders. Um, so that brings us to the fundamental principle of liberty that is protected by the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, that government derives its just powers from the consent of the governed, and this is among the self-evident truths asserted in our Declaration of Independence, uh, uh, read along with uh, 
the affirmation of all men are created equal and in, endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. That to secure the rights, governments are in, instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And that's uh, what was laid out there. So, so to talk about this, I'm going to skip some of this stuff. Where, where does this idea come from? That that our government and our officials and all that kind of stuff, that, they, that we have, as we the ones that bear the rights, give to them the power, or uh, another word for power is what? Anybody? Authority. We give the authority for them to govern, to keep, to keep law, which is really the very fundamental and baseline responsibility of the government, to keep, keep law and to keep order. Um, we've, we've, we've given it to them, but this idea of the people up. Because when you think of a king, when you think of kingdoms, when you think of subjects, you think of all these things, what do you typically think of? You think of, uh, of the top down. You think of uh, everyone being in subjection and, and, uh, and this kind of iron fist kind of a thing of, of control. That's what you think of. And, and, and the principle here that they saw, and uh, um, they, they, they said, wait a minute. For the best, for the good of the people, and for the best outcome possible, we need a leadership that is accountable to the people and leading not for the interest of the king, but for the interest of the people that are being governed, that everyone may prosper. That was the principle, and that was the mindset. By the way, don't you find it interesting when you see people in, uh, uh, in Congress, when you see politicians or what have you, that go in poor and come out wealthy? Right? And I, I'm talking exponentially. You know, don't tell me that was all just some good investing. <laughs> okay? <laughs> There's some things going on, some questionable things. And I find it very interesting that the last several presidents came out very wealthy, and our current president is down $2 billion. I should tell you something, okay? I don't know what it tells you, but it tells you it should, it should throw up a flag, right? Uh, something's, something's off here. Something's different. And... Um, um, but anyways, it's, it's that idea of, and, and by the way, think what you will about our, our current president. He should be retired. He should be enjoying his billions right now. And, and, and wherever you are on politics and, 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 and President Trump, he had such a deep felt conviction, because I mean, he might die in office. Think about it. I mean, he's, he's up there. Um, but he had this deep felt conviction that his country needed him. So left his billionaire lifestyle with all the ridicule and all that attacks from the media and all that kind of stuff to go do. Uh, what I'm saying is there, there was a heart behind the man. Set, set his policies and his politics aside. There was a heart in the man that says, I need to serve the people and do the best for America. That was, that was his heart. Well, that's the mindset of this thing of giving consent to the government to say, we want you to create an environment where we can thrive, where you're, where you're serving the people and not yourself. You see? And so where does this come from? And I'm going to kind of give a very rough overview, but I'm going to start with the Declaration of Independence and work backwards and, uh, uh, rather than the other way that I've been doing. But, but the origin of the idea uh, um, uh, where the powers uh, come from the consent of the governed. In the Declaration of Independence... It says, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. 
that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive to this end, to what end? To, 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 the, to the, the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. It is the right of the people to alter or abolish it, it being the government. And to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its power in such form as, uh, as, uh, as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Interesting statement. And by the way, Declaration of Independence is so hard to read that without, without kind of seeing what's going on in uh, some kind of, a, uh, kind of undertones, uh, undercurrents in our country right now and saying, wait a minute. There's an there's a exclamation mark. There's a, there's a red flag. There's a red flag as you're kind of going through this thing. Um, it's, it's kind of interesting. And by the way, our founders even, even articulate, you know, there are times from time to time that these governments have to be overthrown. And we've got to start over. All right? And I'm not saying we're there right now or, or what this little group here can do right now, but it is something to kind of keep in the back of our mind. When is that point? When is that uh, uh, are we at such a place? But um, so in the Declaration of Independence, we find that immediately connected uh, with the uh, affirmation that all men are created equal and endowed by the Creator with certain inalienable rights, the truth that governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. This concept that men are created equal is a biblical concept. Uh, no one with any sense would attempt to deny the founders derived this concept from Christian theology. Men are not reincarnated equal. Men are not evolved equal. By the way, that's kind of the crux of Darwin's book, right? It talks about the evolution of the races. That, that indicates that there are certain races that are more evolved than others. Whereas the Christian theology would say, all men are created equal. And of course, you understand with that, we're talking about mankind, not the gender or the sex man. Uh, but all men, all mankind is created equal. And, and, it, and it infers a creator. See, it looks to God and it says these things come from God. And so by reason of creation, we have these rights. The created equal. Um, <clears throat> so we go back a little bit further. John Locke, 1632 um, to 1704, Christian theologian, philosopher, and a writer, uh, a great impact on the founders, and uh, he was very well known. Of course, uh, uh, he wrote the, the pamphlets, Common Sense, and, and, uh, and some of those things, and it was challenging the mindset of the people of the day as these pamphlets were getting circulated, and kind of, a, kind of an undercurrent, if you would, uh, going along with the people, uh, as it related to, of course, the British and the military kind of uh, overseeing what was going on there. And so, so he was writing, and a lot of his uh, writings talked a lot about the concept of these rights coming from the Creator. And, uh, and, 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 and uh, given specifically to man, the Creator's creation. So to summarize Locke, uh, basically upon the basis that God created man in his own image and likeness, Locke reasoned that God had given to men certain inalienable rights 
to man was given what is called the dominion. And because this dominion included power over God's creation, no individual man may presume to take dominion over another man created equally in the image and likeness of God because all men are equal possessors, possessors of this divine right. And so the idea is this, that we, we are to rule over creation, but we aren't to rule over each other. Right? By the way, in the original draft of the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson had very harshly rebuked slavery and, uh, and slave trade, and that was one of his complaints uh, levied against the king on taking people from one place and taking them all to another hemisphere, many of them dying in the process. I mean, he laid it all out, and you can look it up in the first draft, the original draft of the Declaration of Independence. You know who had a problem with it? South Carolina and Georgia. Two of 13 colonies. But because they were in such a hurry to sign this thing and to get it done, because it rose debate. But two colonies would not budge. By the way, if they just put it to a vote, would you say the majority had it? Two colonies did not budge, but they said, you know what, we just we got to go forward. So they said, we'll address this later, and they took out the whole chunk. I wonder what difference that would have made in, the, in our history had that been in there, the, the renunciation, repudiation of slave trade. Just uh, kind, of, kind of interesting. In fact, there were times, as we saw in that video, um, the Wall Builders video uh, several weeks ago, uh, where they arrested these slave traders as soon as they pulled into port and freed all the slaves. <laughs> that happened in America while slavery was going on because slave trade was illegal while slavery was, was legal. Um, just some interesting things. But, but the roots of that, and a big part of why, why America was one of the, one of the ones uh, spearheading the issue of abolishing slavery was because we had this principle that all men are created equal. And they saw it as such. They recognized uh, uh, these slaves. They weren't property. They were people. And, uh, you know, it's amazing how they're, they're attacking everything today and clumping it all together. Well, all white people, you know. Yeah. I mean, you would think with the, with the discussion today that all white people own slaves. Did you know there was actually a very small number of white people that owned slaves? And there was a time when there was actually more black slave owners than white slave owners in America. In fact, my wife has ancestors that were white slaves, indentured servants in America. When are we getting our reparations, right? <laughs> but, um, but anyways, uh, let's move on. So go back even further. That was John Locke, uh, 1608 to 1674. Now 100 years before the Declaration of Independence, uh, John Milton the writer of Paradise Lost, a godly Christian man, friend of Roger Williams, uh, with strong sympathy, sympathies for the persecuted Anabaptists in America. Uh, you know, he, he labored and, and, and looked at this thing, uh, and here's what he wrote. The power of kings and magistrates is nothing else but what is only der uh, derivative, transferred, and commu uh, committed to them in trust from the people and the common good of them all in whom the power yet remains fundamentally and cannot be taken from them without a violation of natural birthright and seeing, uh, and seeing that from hence uh, Aristotle and the best political writers have defined a king whom who, uh, him who governs to be good and profit of the people and not for his own ends. So this was, uh, I'm going to kind of stop there because he starts getting into some confusing stuff, but um, this was the 1600s. 
And he was saying, uh, he was saying that, that government and the leaders should, should get that with basically permission, consent from the people, and they should not rule for their own profit, but for the profit of the people. All right, so this is that mindset. And again, coming back from, a, um, uh, from some Christian mindset. Um, as he talked about some of these things, uh, uh, he, had, he had referenced Deuteronomy 17 14, which we'll look at in just a minute, uh, or when, when, when God said, When thou art come into the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shalt say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations about me. And, uh, you know, and these words confirm the right of choosing, uh, as, 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 as given some, some scriptural evidence of God saying, the, when the people came to the point, the conclusion where they said, we want a king, what did God say? You guys remember in the Bible? When, the, when Israel said, we want a king, God said, well, God eventually said, okay. And the prophet was very upset by this because he knew what God's heart was. And the heart was that God would be their king. God would be their leader, if you would. And, uh, and uh, they wanted to be like all the other nations. And God had to kind of calm the prophet down and say, listen, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. He took offense for God. And, uh, but what did God do? God gave to them. Because God believes in consent. God believes in, uh, in free will. I'm sorry? He even warned them. Yeah, he, he definitely get, uh, warned them about it. By the way, prior to them having kings, several times in the book of Judges, the Bible says there was no king in Israel in those days. Right? What would God do every time there was a conflict? He'd raise up a leader. He'd raise up a judge. Right? You have, uh, you have Gideon. Right? And by the way, when they were done being used, they kind of went back to their old job. You had Samson. You, know, you, had, you had these judges, you had Deborah and Barak, and, and you, 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 you had all these, all these uh, judges that God would raise up for the conflict that was going on. You know what God was doing? Taking care of his people. You see? And it eventually came to the point, we want a king like everyone else. All right. You don't know what you're asking for, but okay. And he gives it to them. So you fast forward, and you finally get to the place where God charges them with this. You've set up kings, but not by me. He gave them a formula, and he gave them a way to consult him. All right, God, who do you want to be the king? Now, he, now he gave great grace. He laid it out in the first couple. He had his prophet anoint a king. And then he had his prophet anoint the next king. There was no question. But you know what he would do when they're coming to kingship? Because yeah, even David, you know, he never asserted himself as king. He didn't assassinate Saul when he had a chance. Right? And I think, I think he would have been justified in doing so, honestly. Uh, but he said, I'm not going to lift my hand against God. And what, what was he doing? He said he was waiting for God's timing with it. But you know what would happen when Saul took the throne? The people all gathered around. And you know what they did? In essence, they gave consent. When David came to the throne, they, they all gathered around and gave consent. David had earned their hearts. Even though he had been anointed of God, you don't want to go take that by force. You want the people to willingly follow. I'm getting way ahead of myself. I'm getting to the Bible part. But, um, uh, in fact, I'm going to go ahead and skip to that. Um, there was a, in 1579, there was a man, uh, Theodore Beza. 
he was a uh, uh, reformer in the Calvinist tradition, but, uh, but he, he kind of challenged even their thinking. And, and one of the things that he argued was that the people were above the king. This was 1579. And that the king receives laws from the people and no other way around. And all of that he, he premised upon his meditation in Scripture. And that he had said, since the people choose and establish their kings, it follows that the whole body of the people is above the king. And, uh, and he quoted Hosea 8.4, where God said, they set up kings, but not by me. And, um, but he, uh, he attacked this doctrine of, uh, of kings being supreme. And, and this was, of course, during the time, we talked about it a, a couple weeks ago, I think, where they're attacking that issue of, of rex lex, where the king is law, versus lex rex, where law is king. And uh, the divine right of kings and so forth, which, by the way, was a Catholic doctrine as uh, the church and the state were married together, all right? Um, but, uh, but as they were laying this stuff out, and they were challenging these different uh, dictatorial-type kings, and they are saying, we have to come to a place where you're going to lead by a constitution or where you're going to lead by law, and, uh, and a lot of this was forming over there in, in English history, all right? Um, but, uh, but let's go ahead and move on. But, um, in fact, uh, Beza, the same guy, he, uh, he uh, answered the question, as, as, which is even raised today, wait a minute, doesn't God put up the rulers and so forth? And they talk, you know, Pharaoh, for example, in Romans 9.17, For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my people in thee, and my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Other examples, uh, Saul, God chose. David, God chose. Other heathen kings, Nebuchadnezzar, God chose in Jeremiah 26, uh, 27, 6. Cyrus was chosen. And if God chose, chooses leaders, how could we say that they derive their powers from the consent of the governed? Here's how uh, Beza re- responded to, to this thought. He says, we have shown before that it is God that appoints and chooses kings and who gives their, uh, them their kingdoms. Now we say that it is the people who establish kings put the, put the scepter into their hands and who with their support approves the election. God would have done it in this manner so that kings should acknowledge that after God they hold their power and sovereignty from the people and that this would then encourage them to concentrate and direct all their efforts on the behalf, or excuse me, on the benefit of the people without being uh, puffed with any vain imagination that they were created for, uh, from material uh, more excellent than other men, uh, for which they were raised so high above others, as if they were to command our flocks of sheep or herds of cattle, but let them remember and know that they are made no different than anyone else, raised from the earth by the voice and acclamations of the people, raised as it were on the shoulders of their thrones, that they may, might afterwards bear on their own shoulders the greatest burden of the commonwealth. So what he's talking about, and giving biblical examples for this idea, was that while God gives the kings their kingdoms, the people approve the selection with their willing consent. And we see that in Scripture. On the one hand, they said, they set up kings, but not by me. God let them set up kings that he did not approve of. Um, There was a scripture I wanted to reference. Let me see here. Anyways, we have some others going back into the 1500s. I'm going to skip some of these. A lot of the, the, the Anabaptists and their stand against the Catholics and a lot of persecution that took place there. Um, thousands, thousands were murdered. They were slaughtered. Um, 
But uh, let's see, let's go back to the, the Bible and the principle of consent. Remember that God never intended, uh, we kind of review a little bit as we, as we get here. Uh, God never intended that a king would rule his people. Throughout Scripture, God declared to be the king of the kingdom and uh, rule over the kingdoms of men. Daniel 4, 17 and 25 and 32, God declared that. The first king in the Bible was a man named Nimrod. You guys remember Nimrod? What did he do? I'm sorry? He was a hunter? He, uh, he was the first one to set himself up as king at the Tower of Babel. That's what Nimrod uh, did. And, and God broke that up, of course, confound the languages, and, uh, and, and set them all apart. Um, but he was the first one to establish a kingdom among men, independent from God's rule. That's uh, Genesis uh, 10. After God then divided them, uh, we had little kingdoms start popping up here and there. And then God uh, raised up a people. That's when he called uh, Abraham out and, and, and so forth. But what ended up happening is people were following the example of Nimrod. And, uh, and, 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 and there were lessons um, uh, uh, flowing from that. God established his own nation in the earth, Israel. He was their only king. And later on, the people would desire to follow the pattern of the rest of the world, uh, like Nimrod. They say, we want kings like our neighbors and so forth. And, and, uh, and God, God laid it out. But what's interesting is this. Uh, in 1 Samuel 8, 7, God says to Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, for they have, re have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. What did God do? God gave them consent. Gave into their, con you know, what they wanted. God did not, they did not want God to be their king, and so God, all-powerful God, said what? Okay. You guys can have your way. So God himself deferred the principle of, cons uh, of consent and would not have them bound to his service against their will. Deuteronomy 17, uh, verse 14, predict the day would come when Israel would reject God from being their king. And so what he did was uh, he, he, he kind of gave some rules. He said, uh, when thou art come into the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, and shall possess it, and dwell therein, then, and, and shall say, I will set a king over me, like as the kings of all the nations about me, God then deferred to their will and allowing them to reject him and so forth. In verse 15, he starts to lay out, here's what you're going to look for. Thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall choose. He's telling them, since you're going to have a king, here's my advice. Pick someone that I would choose. Okay, Good rule, right, to start with. Pick someone that I would choose. One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee. So what does that mean? Not a foreigner, right? And by the way, what's interesting is when you look at Deuteronomy, there are several points here in Deuteronomy 17 that are in our own law, right? Natural-born citizen, right? We have that. That's why there are issues sometimes that arise. Is he natural-born or is he naturalized? You understand, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was governor of California, could not be president of the United States because he's not a natural-born citizen. He's a naturalized citizen. You see, that's why there was some debate even about, you know, Ted Cruz. Was he eligible? Because he was, I believe, born in Canada, but his parents were citizens, and he was, he was technically, with all that, a natural-born citizen. The same issue came up with John McCain, because his dad was in the military, and he was on a foreign land when he was born, but that's technically still uh, American-born, and so forth. 
But these issues come up, looking for all those loopholes, right? How can we, how can we uh, uh, disqualify him? Well, that's why it was such a big deal even about uh, President Obama's birth certificate and, uh, and, some, and some of that stuff coming up because if he couldn't prove that he was American-born, uh, uh, natural-born, then, um, then that would disqualify him from the position, you see. But, uh, but, he's, but he lays it out, pick from among the brethren, right? Um, he gave further instruction, including that uh, when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write him a copy of the law in a book out of, uh, out of that which is before the priests, the, Levi, uh, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord God, to keep all his words in the law, and these statutes to do them. And uh, so here's one thing God said the king should do. He himself has to write out the Bible. Right? Not go down to the bookstore and buy a brand new copy and read it. Write it out yourself. That's kind of interesting. Right? And he gave some other things. You, can, you shouldn't multiply to yourself wives. All right? That was a big problem David had and Solomon had and some of these others. Uh, that was against God's will when they did that. Um, but, but he lays out several, several other things, which I'm not going to go into right now. But he gives it. He says, if you pick a king, here, I want you to do one that I've picked, and here's some criteria that you can look at. Right? And by the way, when we are coming to the place of voting in these positions... We ought to really seek the mind of God. We ought to make it a matter of prayer. We ought to make it uh, this matter and come before God and say, God, who would you have? Who would you pick of all these? Now, with that, I want you to understand something. You know, there, there's a lot of complaint about, you know, uh, President Trump's morality and some of those kind of things that were arisen. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I was very dragging my feet before I supported President Trump uh, early on for, for quite a while. But, uh, uh, but when you're looking at this stuff, we really got to ask the question, you know, uh, of what is the best? Because I'll be honest with you, if we, if we look at Deuteronomy uh, 17, you could probably say, you know what, I fit the bill, right? Why don't you guys vote for me? Well, one, I'm not going to, I wouldn't make it, okay? Nobody else knows my name, but, uh, but you know, there are a lot of, lot of issues that, that go into that. So we have, to, we have to ask ourselves, with biblical principles, as, as close to this as we can possibly get, who would God pick? Who would God have us to look at? And, uh, and, and within all that, you know, it's not you know, even enough to just, for example, be a believer, but do, do their principles line up with the Scripture? Are they governed? Are their values lined up there? Because... Uh, I'll be honest with you, Ben Carson, his theology, according to the Bible, he's lost man. Now, he loves the Bible, and he loves God, but he believes in a works-based salvation. He's a Seventh-day Adventist. That's works. It's all works. They're, 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 they're like the, the modern-day Judaizers spoken of in the book of Galatians. Now, with that... I believe he consults the Bible, and so with a lot of, lot of areas, you know, uh, he, he definitely was, was up there on one that I think could have done a good job, you know, uh, uh, with, the, with those kind of things. Um, but he's a lost man. I, I, in good conscience, could, vote, could have voted for him, right? Now, there may be other practical things that I would think this isn't a good idea, experience-wise or other, but, um, but uh, just as, as an example... There's a lost man that I could vote for, right? Um, but anyways, let me, let me move on. 
I want to give you an example. Oh, yes, here it is. Um, in 1 Kings 2, you don't have to turn there, but um, that's when you have uh, Rehoboam taking the throne. Now, Rehoboam was Solomon's son. And do you guys remember Rehoboam? He started asking some counsel. At the end of Solomon's reign, Solomon disobeyed God in, in some areas. You guys know the main area Solomon disobeyed God? Anybody? I'm sorry? Married foreign wives. Well, well, the first step was he multiplied to himself wives, which is forbidden in Deuteronomy. But he started marrying wives. Uh, and, and, and foreign is, is kind of a hard way of saying it because, you know, we start thinking, isn't that racist or whatever? But, but the issue was that they followed other gods. He married, you know, uh, uh, priests' daughters of other religions and those kinds of things. And, and God had warned him that they're going to pull your heart away from me. So early on in, in, in Solomon's reign, he had wealth, he had wisdom. The queen of Sheba came and, and said, uh, the half has not been told, everyone's happy and all this kind of stuff. But then we get to Rehoboam and, and the, the elders, some of his dad's counselors said, we're not happy. Solomon was a very hard king to follow, and the kingdom wasn't happy, and his court was not happy. See, somewhere along the way, it all fell apart. Why? Because his heart started going after those other wives. Remember, when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, he said, all is vanity. You know, this guy was depressed, okay? He says, he says it's pointless. You know, I've done it all, and at the end of the day, should have just followed God. Should have just feared God and kept his commandments. That's what I should have done, right? Uh, it's not really what he's saying, but he's preaching that to the, to the, the reader. He's saying this was the end of the matter. But, uh, but he had done it all. So, so, so the, uh, the elder counselor said, listen, you serve these people, and they'll follow you. You make their burden lighter. You love them, basically. Uh, you take care of them, and they'll follow you. They'll be loyal to you. So he goes, okay, uh, I've got your counsel, and uh, come back in three days, and we'll talk. And then he goes to his friends and he says, what do you guys think? Now, now it's kind of like this. Can you imagine a bunch of young people and a, guy, a, a, a 20-something just inherits the kingdom and he's going to bring all his punk friends, right? What do you guys think I should do? Oh, I'll tell you what you should do. He's like, you got to get the fear of God in these people, the fear of you, actually. And, uh, and you ought to come in, you ought to go uh, with an iron fist and you got to you know, rule and reign. He said, you tell them this. That, you know, your little pinky, your little finger is going to be stronger than your dad's thigh. And uh, he, you know, uh, he's like, you're going to whip them with scorpion tails. And you tell them all this stuff. And you, you, you make them fear you. Okay. Listen to it. After three days, they come back together. And the people are like, all right, what's the solution? What does he do? He followed his friends. And you know what the people said? We've had enough. And they walked away. And God allowed them to split it. Ten and two, right? Ten, ten tribes went one way and two went the other. And, and, uh, but what's interesting is in that, God sent his prophet and said, I've done this. I've, I've allowed this, so to speak. In fact, it said in uh, 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 that passage is in 1 Kings 12, in verse 15, it says, Wherefore the king hearkened unto the people, and for the cause was the, uh, uh, and, excuse me, for the cause was from the Lord, that he might perform his saying, which the Lord spake to Ahijah, the, the Shilonite, unto Jer Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So will all Israel, excuse me, so when all Israel saw the king hearken not unto them, 
The people answered the king, saying, What portion have we in David? Neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse in your tents. O Israel, now see thine own house, David. So Israel departed unto their tents. And as for the children of Israel, which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. And so there was a great split, but a great story uh, in the conclusion that God uh, uh, let them split and let them have the, you know, uh, this issue of consent. Um, <clears throat> Let me see. Uh, when the matter came to pass, the prophet observed that the king's heart was turned by God to the fulfillment of his purpose. And it says this, For wherefore the king uh, hearkened not on the people, uh, what I just read, and it says, uh, um, uh, to perform, uh, for the Lord to perform his saying. And we see how God kind of uh, performed through this, this whole principle of consent. And, and um I'm not going to dissect it all. I've got some of this in my notes, but uh, we're going to kind of move on. But God allowed the ten tribes of Israel to revolt against their rightful heir to the throne and separate themselves from their former attachments and from their own government independence of the king Rehoboam. God allowed them to break from that and, and, and to go through all that. Why? Because uh, the consent of the people. They wanted, you know, to choose them. Or, you know, uh, what, what did they say over and over again to God? We're not going to reign over us. We're not going to have this man rule over us, right? And by the way, it comes all the way even, even to this place where we're at today. What do we do with Jesus Christ? Are we going to say, we're not going to have this man reign over us? Or are we going to say, submit to him as Lord and Savior? You see, we still, even today, have the choice to submit to him. Now, by the way, one day we're not going to have a choice. One day you're going to be on one side or the other side, and, and, the, and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, and they're going to say, but we don't want to. You will, right? But today we have a choice, and, he, and God does not force himself, even the message of the gospel that's been committed to our trust, what do we do? We present it, and there must be a consent to, de to declare Jesus as Lord, right? To yield to his lordship, so to speak, to to, you know, uh, if we could believe in, uh, confess with thy mouth the Lord, Jesus Christ, believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. We have to confess it. We have to come to the place where we say, I will respond to that. But God doesn't force himself on anybody, and he does not have us force the issue. You see? Yeah, um, convert or die. That's never been the message of the Christian gospel. You see? And, uh, and so this is, this is the mind of God. God is very big on this free will, even to his own hurt. You think about that. To God's own hurt, this is the issue of free will. How much he would have loved to have stayed in the garden with Adam. How much he would love for his people Israel that he called out from among all the nations to have just followed him and let him be their king. How much he would love it. How much he would love it if we would just follow him, and love him with our whole hearts. And we, like the songwriter said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. God allows it. Um, God sent the prophet to Rehoboam and basically told him in, uh, in uh, 1 Kings 12 that this thing is from me, the splitting of the kingdom. See, he wanted to go after him, and he wanted to, 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 to fight them, uh, into submission. You're going to stay a part of the kingdom. And God said, no, this thing's from me. They didn't want you. You had your chance. And now the kingdom is split. 
But all this shows the principle of consent, clearly supported by Scripture, uh, uh, that the history of how this principle came to be established in our, in our culture is from the Word of God. And, and by the way, some of these, you know, you're really not going to find it apart from the Word of God. So this principle of the bottom-up power and authority understands something that, that uh, uh, we people have rights. Government, a construct of the people, do not, does not have rights. It only has power. It only has authority that was, that was given and trusted to it by the people. Now, when it goes unchecked, what happens? Anybody? It gets bigger. It tends to grow. And eventually, unchecked, yeah, tyranny. It tends to, you know, uh, uh, power tends to corrupt. Right? And so, uh, so that's, that's where we have to come back to these principles. And, and by the way, how do they get there? One of the biggest tools is ignorance. Why in the world did they not teach the Constitution in school today? I mean, can you fathom a nation not teaching in public school their nation's constitution? Think about that. Well, if you don't know it, you don't know when it's being violated. Because after all, separation of church and state's in the Constitution. You hear that over and over and over again. No one checked it. Maybe it is. You see? And they keep stepping on it, and we say, wait, I don't know what's violated. Um, I'm going to go back to the, the whole mandating churches to close. Someone had posted the question, do you believe it's religious discrimination or persecution to insist that a church closes during this pandemic when they're also closing theaters? And my answer is this. Based on the Constitution, there is no right guaranteed you in the Constitution to go to a theater, to attend the theater, right? There isn't. There's no constitutional right for entertainment. But there is, without an exception, a constitutional right to not, not just practice your religion, but what's the word used? Assemble. What does that mean? Come together. Now, we should be wise about it. We can do it safely. We can spread out. We can do all those kinds of things. But for the state to step in and interfere in any way, yeah, ultimately that church, you know what the fine was actually for? Get this now. Singing. Singing. So first they told them when they can worship, and now they're telling them how they can worship. You see, pray for this church. The, the lawsuits are going to be quite interesting. But uh, a lot of churches and a lot of people around the country have kind of pitched in. They don't have like a GoFundMe or anything, but several have pitched in where they haven't had to pay any of it yet. Others are saying, we want to help. We want to help and uh, helping them with that. But uh, uh, the pastor of that church, his wife posted on Facebook today. She said, it's a strange feeling getting ready and going to church, knowing it's going to cost us $5,000 to worship today. Or the, the morning service. And then another 5000 in the evening service. You know. By the way, how far are you going to go when it starts costing you something to follow Jesus? You see, this is interesting times we're in right now. An interesting debate, honestly. But um, 
But the, 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 key, the key premise that I want to kind of focus on with the ninth and the 10th is, uh, is this idea that, uh, that the rights are with the people. You see? You know, some rights aren't in there, which lead to some of the issues like we've heard in recent days, like, like a baker refusing to bake a cake for a gay wedding. Right? That's a right. To, to, to you know, uh, uh, and by the way, to, to kind of put some perspective on it, try to change the circumstances, right? What if a photographer uh, who does just regular portraits was asked to do um, uh, pictures for somebody with some very inappropriate, that would kind of violate their conscience, poses? Could they say no? Absolutely, right? These are, these are freedom of conscience issues. Um, now, uh, I think it'd be... A, I think it's discrimination if they were to just say no because the person was, for example, a gay couple. But if there's something that they're having them do on there because a cake is artistic, that violates their conscience. Hey, guess what? There's another bakery down the street. And um, you see, the grown-ups in the room would just say, <laughs> "Go down the street, right?" But uh, but there are other issues that are being raised with all that stuff. But. Anyways, I hope this has been a help to you. This was not exhaustive, obviously. Uh, well, it's probably exhausting listening to me, but uh, but not exhaustive as there's a lot more that we could have uh, could have looked at. And um, and boy, extensive writing by the founders on a lot of these topics. You want to find out really the spirit behind it. What did these founders say about it? You see, when we just look at the Constitution apart from any context, yeah, we can really make it say a lot of things. But you put it in its context and what the founders, what their heart was, we've got to get back to this, this thing of judges in, interpreting the heart of, these, uh, of the Constitution. You see, when judges start legislating, by the way, we're in trouble. You know, and they're changing meanings and those kinds of things. And uh, in my opinion, if they start legislating, then they need to start having terms. Okay, but that's another issue for another time. Appreciate you, church, and uh, thanks, for, thanks for being out tonight.